Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Hello again, and welcome to another edition of the Niner Noise Podcast, part of the Fan Sided Network. I'm your host, Associate Editor of NinerNoise.com, Peter Panacey, filling in for the illustrious Robert Morrison, who, guess what, is out on paternity leave. That's right. Robert and family welcomed a new child to the mix here just as of late. Uh, Mom and baby are doing well, so congratulations to Robert. Congratulations to his family. Uh, Certainly some exciting times ahead, and hopefully we get ourselves another 49ers fan. And uh, eventually, down the road, it might take a little while, but perhaps even another contributor to Niner Noise many, 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 many years from now. We'll see how that pans out. Anyway, um, look... (laughs) It's, it's hard to really put a grasp on what happened to the 49ers on Sunday afternoon at Seattle, losing to the Seahawks 30-23. to We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about some of the long-term implications, uh, not just in terms of where the 49ers currently stand in the playoff picture, not just in terms of the 49ers, Seahawks, and, and how Russell Wilson just seems to have his way with uh, the Niners' time in and time out, uh, but also just kind of some other issues that the 49ers are facing right now. And so we're going to get into all of that, take a look at some ups and some downs from everything. But before we do, just a little bit of housekeeping here. If you enjoy what you hear, either from myself when I'm on, uh, when Robert and other guests are on the uh, the podcast, do us a favor and go ahead and hit that subscribe button and leave us that five-star review. We also enjoy hearing your comments and, uh, and getting your interactions as well. It definitely helps the podcast grow, and uh, we'll continue to look to grow it as well in the upcoming future. So anyway, 49ers losers in Week 13 on the road to the Seahawks, who were losers themselves the three previous weeks, with the 49ers winners the three previous weeks. If you were looking at recent trends from both teams, you probably would have thought, okay, this is going to be the week the 49ers proverbially end the Seahawks, and not just in terms of Seattle's playoff hopes, which are still awfully slim, uh, but really this whole Russell Wilson, Pete Carroll, Seahawks dynasty, if you want to call it that, uh, that stretched back to 2012. So 
that was there for the taking. And the 49ers coughed it up in more ways than one. And kind of a bit of a twofold approach here if you want to look at it. Russell Wilson, of course, went 30-37, 231 yards, two touchdowns, an interception. He didn't look like he was banged up or trying to shake off the rust, something that you might have seen over those previous three losses the Seahawks had suffered ever since he returned from that finger injury. It looked like he was fine. In addition, Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, they both looked like that dynamic receiving tandem, despite the two of them, at least at the same time, not necessarily being huge X factors for Seattle's offense over the last few weeks. But of course, as, as everything goes with Seattle and San Francisco, you tend to look at games that just are so weird, that are just so Seahawks-like. And I can't, I can't think of the last time where there was just a normal 49ers Seahawks game that wasn't all crazy, had some sort of odd things back and forth, whatever it might be. And you got the dose of that right off the bat when on the first play of the drive, uh, kick returner, uh, I'm sorry, well, kick returner Trent Cannon, who was appearing on special teams as the coverage unit, suffered a very scary concussion and had to be loaded on to a stretcher in, in, taken away in an ambulance off the field on the very first play of the drive. Now, according to head coach Kyle Shanahan, uh, Cannon is making his way back from Seattle today. He spent the night in a Seattle hospital with, an, with a concussion. And so it, it, you know, concussions aren't anything to laugh about and, and, to, and to understate, but considering the way that play looked, and how things could have been. It certainly looked a lot scarier than it actually was. So it's good to hear Trent Cannon's doing well. Uh, that was another one of the, the, the key injuries that did actually have an impact later in the game. And of course, if you watch the game, you got to see uh, fill-in kick return specialist Travis Benjamin fumble a kickoff at the start of the second quarter, or I mean, start, start, start of the second half. And that resulted in a crazy sway of back-and-forth plays that again resulted in the 49ers generating a turnover. Quan Williams picking off Russell Wilson on a pass that was bobbled by Seahawks tight end Gerald Everett. Everett had a rough game, by the way. So if you wanted to, to, to look at someone from Seattle's side and say, well, ha-ha, Gerald Everett would be the guy. He had uh, was responsible for a couple of turnovers his, himself. So, But nevertheless, Quan Williams recovered it uh, only at the two-yard line a few plays later. The Seahawks sacked Jimmy Garoppolo in the end zone for a safety. Uh, that was the only sack the Seahawks managed to get on Jimmy Garoppolo in the game, but it was a big one, resulting in two points. And you really felt the, the, the 49ers' momentum, which was up and down throughout the game on both sides of the ball, just kind of get sucked away at that time. And for those who you know, hopefully noticed it but maybe didn't, the 49ers didn't score any points after halftime. They got all of their 23 points in the first and second quarters, and there was a stretch where Seattle scored 16 unanswered points. So a bit of a problem there and something that you could certainly see as an issue. And it'll be kind of interesting to see how the 49ers bounce back from that. So, you know, we could talk about the game itself, but just the weirdness of it is, is, is kind of what stood out to me the most. And I'm sure it did to, to all of you as well. Seattle did an excellent job taking away the run, so that was one of those elements you thought the Niners might be able to try to get back into things and say, hey, look, the running game with Elijah Mitchell has been successful. Why stray from it? It's going to influence the time of possession battle. Coming into the game, the Niners have been averaging almost 40 minutes of possession time per game over the last three weeks, and Seattle entered the game dead last in that category with a possession time of just over 24 minutes. 
And over the last three weeks before week 13, they hadn't even reached 20 minutes. So you thought, okay, 49ers ground game, control the clock, dominate the time of possession, wear down Seattle's defense, which you know, has been better against the run uh, as of late, but still is suspect in its own right. Well, that didn't happen. Niners averaged 2.8 yards per carry. Elijah Mitchell did have 66 yards on the ground and a touchdown, but nevertheless, that, was, uh, that, that wasn't the X factor the Niners needed it to be. And as a result, guess who won the time of possession battle? Seattle did. 33 minutes, 12 seconds possession time. 49ers, of course, just 26 minutes and 48 seconds. So buck that narrative right there. Now, of course, this isn't the only reason why the 49ers lost that game. There are so many self-inflicted mistakes. I, I, I talked about the, the Travis Benjamin fumble. Of course, there was two interceptions thrown by Jimmy Garoppolo. And we're going to talk a little bit about Jimmy Garoppolo, Trey Lance here in a little bit. I want to get to that. But you know, Garoppolo, if you looked at the stats, you're going to say, ah, well, you know, he had a Garoppolo-like game, 20 of 30, 299 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions. Both touchdowns going to George Kittle, who is an absolute monster in the game, by the way. That was one of the 49ers' big-time standouts. Nine receptions, 181 yards, two scores, and one of those, a very nifty down-the-sideline catch-and-run grab uh, for the touchdown. So it was good to see George Kittle come back, but the Niners needed somebody to step up without Debo Samuel, who missed the game because of a groin injury. Probably the other couple of standouts from San Francisco's standpoint, nose tackle DJ Jones, edge Nick Bosa, uh, they were both forces in the uh, in, in the defensive line. Eric Armstead should get a nice little hat tip too. And then linebacker Aziz Alshire, who got the start because of Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw both being out. Alshire was all over the field. He forced a fumble, led the team in tackles, I believe something like 13 or something along those lines. But nevertheless, that was a really, really impressive outing from him. I tell you, the Niners are going to have a tough decision when Greenlaw is healthy again and uh from from my personal, uneducated, hey, I'm just a fan, whatever observation, Allshire should be the guy who's starting over Greenlaw. I'm just going to leave that as is. But anyway, um, getting back to the number of mistakes the 49ers made, I mentioned the two Jimmy Garoppolo interceptions, very Garoppolo-like picks. I mean, the, the, the first one, literally right into the waiting arms of linebacker Bobby Wagner. And you watch the replay over and over again, and you're almost just wondering like who do you realize Wagner's not on your team right like you literally looked like you were targeting him that made no sense why and of course if you watch Garoppolo over the years that's kind of been one of those things that just stands out as as one of his faults the inability to see a linebacker in between the numbers in that sort of an intermediate range 10 to 20 yards down the field Garoppolo was guilty of it then he also got picked off by Quandre Diggs, uh, had a chance to hit Trent Sherfield, who was breaking wide open on a play that probably would have been a touchdown. Instead, Garoppolo tried to force feed it to George Kittle, throwing it still about five feet over his head and into Diggs' arms. But, you know, those are kind of the interceptions that Garoppolo makes. And, you know, we kind of have to come to this conclusion that Garoppolo is who he is. You know, let's not try to sugarcoat anything. And I've got a piece on this over at Niner Noise kind of highlighting this, that, that Garoppolo is, is average. You just leave it at that. You know, Garoppolo is an average quarterback. And there's going to be some people who don't like Garoppolo. That's fine. They're going to disagree with me on this and say, oh, gosh, he's terrible. And there's going to be those who defend him and say, no, 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 he's good. Look at the wins. The 49ers don't win without him. Look, Jimmy Garoppolo should be a starting quarterback in this league. He's probably one of these average tier quarterbacks. 
right? You know, you figure about, you know, maybe top 20. Like, you could look at him as a top 20 quarterback, certainly in the high teens, if you're going to do a ranking of every single one of the starters. And that's fine. I'm not going to complain about that. But his averageness is both good and bad for San Francisco. And what I mean by that is Jimmy Garoppolo being average means that if the 49ers are playing good football elsewhere, they're running the ball well, their defense is not giving up huge plays or tiring out because, oh, like last week or last Sunday, they were on the field a lot. If that's going on and the 49ers are, are getting creative with their offense, Debo Samuel's in the mix, rushing, you know, coming up with big catches. Uh, you get a complimentary pass catcher like Brandon Ayuk or George Kittle making plays. The defense is doing its job. Whatever. Jimmy Garoppolo can be a good game manager and the 49ers can win games as a result. That's average play being elevated by the rest of the team. Not too difficult to understand that. But when those other elements, such as the 49ers defense beginning to tire out because they were on the field so much, especially in the second half against the Seahawks, or the, the, the 49ers run game just isn't able to churn out the success, as I mentioned before, 2.8 yards per carry against Seattle for a total of just 71 rush yards. Uh, or if the Niners are making mistakes elsewhere, like the fumbles, like Jimmy Garoppolo's interceptions, Garoppolo is not the kind of quarterback who can elevate his play to make up for those deficiencies. And that's where the averageness of Jimmy Garoppolo comes back to haunt San Francisco. Now, even in 2019, if you're going to look at Jimmy Garoppolo's best season as a pro, the Super Bowl year for San Francisco, there were games that year that Garoppolo did put the offense and effectively the entire team on his shoulders. You think about that Halloween game against the Arizona Cardinals in 2019. Garoppolo had to step up. George Kittle got hurt. Uh, I, I, I think Emmanuel Sanders had, had just arrived, so you're kind of wondering if he would be a factor. Debo Samuel really hadn't gotten going yet. And so Garoppolo had to come up big, and he did. You think about that crazy game in New Orleans against the Saints, you know, where he tossed four touchdowns, uh, had to battle out with Drew Brees, who threw five touchdowns. It was back and forth. It was wild. It was crazy. Garoppolo had to come up big in that game, too. You're not getting that this year. And for those who think, well, you know, Jimmy G can get better and everything like this, look, if we're being brutally honest here, Garoppolo is who he is, and the fact that he just turned 30 years old pretty much paints the picture that you already know. Garoppolo's not going to be showing any sort of massive improvement. I mean, it's not like, oh, hey, you can use the excuse he's, uh, he's fully immersed in Kyle Shanahan's offense, and once he gets it, he's going to get it. <laughs> We're talking about year five now, all right? You're not going to get to that point. And just to measure that consistency while we're on the topic of interceptions and, and Jimmy Garoppolo's averageness, think about this. Jimmy Garoppolo's tossed eight interceptions on the year on 318 pass attempts. That's an interception percentage of 2.6. Now, if you're hovering around three, you should be in trouble. You know, a team should be really considering whether or not they want to move on from you. You know, that's, that, that's Nick Mullins' territory as far as interception percentage once you get to three. So Garoppolo's at 2.6, not quite that bad, but his career interception percentage? Anyone guess? Anybody? Anybody? Yeah, 2.6. You know, there you go. That's the consistency factor. So it's consistently average from Jimmy Garoppolo, and if the 49ers are playing well elsewhere on defense with the run game, 
you get some complimentary pass catchers. They're not making too many mistakes in the turnover department. Maybe they force a takeaway or two. Garoppolo can win. But when the 49ers are deficient in one or more of those other categories, Garoppolo doesn't have the ability to elevate the level of play. Now, that's something Russell Wilson has constantly done over the years, and the 49ers have seen that. And you look at Kyle Shanahan, his tenure against the Seahawks. I mean, we don't even need to go back through 2012 and Russell Wilson's career win percentage against San Francisco. All I need to do is look at Shanahan's tenure. And Shanahan, of course, during all these matchups against the Seahawks, 10 in total, Shanahan's 49ers, 2-8 against the Seahawks. You know, this isn't that 2019 Week 17 game that was so magical with Dre Greenlaw's stop of Jacob Hollister on the goal line. No, we're not talking about that. Totally different measure. And you just knew going into this game, throw the records out the window. Throw the fact the Seahawks had lost three in a row. Throw the fact the Niners had won five or three in a row. Toss that. The Seahawks were going to get up for this game, and you knew it. And their season might be over. You know, I mean, literally, if we're if we're being brutally honest, their season might be over. Sure, you're four and eight, but in terms of the NFC playoff picture, that win didn't change much. They're still the number fifteen seed in the NFC, <laughs> just above the uh, the lowly Detroit Lions, who managed to pull off their first win of the season by beating the Minnesota Vikings, whom the Niners happened to beat the week before. So while we're on that subject and just kind of breaking down a little bit of what the Niners were able to do with the loss and yet what mattered more with that three-game win streak beforehand, the 49ers, they dropped down a spot in the playoff seating. They are number seven currently after being number six entering the week. That because the Washington football team managed to knock off the Las Vegas Raiders. And you got a number of teams that are still looking up at the 49ers in the standings, such as those Vikings, who also lost. There's also the Atlanta Falcons in the mix, the Philadelphia Eagles in the mix, too. Um, and so now you look at that uh, upcoming game in a few weeks against the Falcons as one that could potentially carry some implications as far as the playoff seeding. But still, despite this loss, it's not all doom and gloom for San Francisco's playoff seeding. And, uh, you know, you kind of think about some of those tiebreaker scenarios. Yes, they come into effect. The 49ers beating the Vikings, that's huge because if the Niners and Vikings wind up tied for the same record for, let's say, the seventh seed, a wild card berth, well, guess what? The 49ers would have the edge because of the tiebreaker. Same thing with the Eagles, who are 6-7 and seven and in the eighth seed. Niners beat them earlier in the season, so it's effectively a one-game lead no matter what if the Niners wind up tying either the Eagles or Vikings in terms of straight-up record this season. And, of course, the Carolina Panthers, they're hanging out there in the number 10 seed at 5-7. and seven. Things aren't looking too good for Carolina, especially with uh, uh, Christian McCaffrey being done for the year, and, and who knows what's going on at quarterback with them right now. So, anyway, I wouldn't really consider the, 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 the Panthers a threat. Certainly not the Saints in the number 12 seed, who are also 5-7. and seven. Taysom Hill is not a starting quarterback. I don't care what uh, anybody says, and you're probably most people are going to agree with me on that. So anyway, before we can kind of get ourselves caught up in all this sort of playoff seating chatter and all the things that went wrong with the 49ers, poor officiating, whatever you want to blame, look, the Niners coughed up an ugly game against the Seahawks. The 49ers own the Rams, who own the Seahawks, who own the 49ers. It, I, I, yeah, rock, paper, scissors, scissors it if you want. Maybe Russell Wilson, Pete Carroll, they're gone next year. Maybe not. I don't know. I'm not going to speculate beyond that. We'll see. But 
nevertheless, let's get into the ups, let's get into the downs, and try to at least figure out what we can take away from this heading into week 14, which is going to be a, a real, real, real tough challenge for a 49ers team that <sighs> I'm not liking this matchup, but maybe I can be optimistic. So before we get into those ups and downs, actually, you know what, let's just turn this into the downs. So <sighs> what I'm upset about isn't so much the loss. Look, I've seen so many 49ers losses to the Seahawks. It's just going to blur into all the rest of them. But I'm certainly down about the number of injuries the 49ers suffered. So I mentioned Trent Cannon. 49ers special teams has been a disaster this year. And I think Football Outsiders, their DVOA, DVOA metric ranked them at uh, 20th in the league. Uh, Football Outsiders DVOA, I think, had it like, I want to say it was like minus 0.7 of a point, which means they're almost a full point below average. And and I'm not going to get into their metrics. You can check them out if you like. But 20th ranking in the NFL isn't very good. Pro Football Focus had the Niners ranked slightly lower at 24th on special teams, and Trent Cannon, losing him for any length of time could potentially influence what's already been a bad unit. So that's a downer. Another thing about the downer of the 49ers, the number of injuries, guess what? Those things packed themselves up again. Already shorthanded without Fred Warner and Debo Samuel in the mix last Sunday. The Niners lost Trent Cannon. Hopefully he's able to return from the concussion protocol. We'll see. Elijah Mitchell also went down with a concussion. He returned to the game, but according to Kyle Shanahan today on Monday when we're recording this, uh, Mitchell started feeling some and showing some symptoms again uh, today. So he's going back through the concussion protocol. Jeff Wilson Jr. has some knee swelling. Uh, he could be questionable for week 14. And of course, Trey Sermon is out for a few weeks with an ankle injury, meaning the only healthy running back on the 49ers roster right now, Jamichael Hasty. There you go. I think the 49ers will be hasty in their decision to try to find uh, some depth. Kyle Shanahan did allude to the fact they might be doing some running back tryouts. Things get worse. So Jaquaski Tart, he got stepped on by DK Metcalf in the end zone. I'm sure if you've seen that play, you saw it by now. And if not, go back and look at it. I'm not going to speculate whether or not Metcalf intended it. Sure looked like it did, but hey, what do I know? Uh, Tart was able to return, so that's good. But cornerback Emmanuel Mosley suffered an ankle injury, and Kyle Shanahan telling reporters today that he is going to be out for a few weeks. That right there is potentially disastrous, because if you wanted to look at a moment when it seemed like the momentum turned, well, there was a bunch of those moments. But the 49ers did not have a good answer for making up for Mosley's absence. And I know, even on NinerNoise.com, even on this podcast, we've been touting getting some of these younger players in the mix, such as Diamador Lenore, Ambry Thomas. Well, their play wasn't overly inspiring against the Seahawks once they were forced in the game. Mainly Lenore. He came in and, and struggled. Let's just leave it at that. Uh, and, <laughs> and you had to see him rotate in with Dante Johnson. And of course, the veteran Josh Norman, you know, high risk, high reward with him every time. I, I don't need to go much more into detail about that. But anyway, the Niners cornerback depth is going to be a problem. And you factor in why this is even more of a big down heading into week 14. That's what I'm trying to stress here, that this is the downer side of things. Uh, Bengals have a pretty good wide receiver core, if you haven't noticed. You know, quarterback Joe Burrow's made some strides this season, and, and, and he's still under pressure like crazy. We'll get into that. But nevertheless, uh, he has three wide receivers at his disposal 
that are uh, are pretty good at football, if you haven't noticed. So Jamar Chase, the first round rookie, he's been tearing it up this season. Uh, T. Higgins, another wide receiver who's been absolutely fantastic, um, and of course Tyler Boyd, sort of that you know tertiary option. If you're looking at Jamar Chase, 958 receiving yards on 55 receptions, eight touchdowns. And uh, T. Higgins, um, he's got 698 yards, four touchdowns on 52 catches. And Tyler Boyd, that nice complimentary tertiary option with uh, 556 yards, 51 catches, and two touchdowns too. So that's a pretty elite level receiving core. And you got to put those guys up against uh, D'Amador Lenore, um, Josh Norman, you know, Dante Johnson, Ambry Thomas. Yikes. The only person I really have confidence out of the entire Niners cornerback room right now is Quan Williams. That's about it, you know, and, and <laughs> the Niners going to have to get creative with that pass coverage and hope that their safety tandem trio, really, of Jimmy Ward, Kowalski Tart, and Talano Hufanga, who is out there quite a lot, um, are going to be able to do their job, especially. And uh, it's going to be made all the more difficult because Joe Mixon, a little banged up in the uh, Bengals' loss to the Chargers last Sunday, um, he's been having himself a phenomenal season, too, closing in on 1,000 rushing yards with 12 touchdowns. So that'll probably make Joe Burrow's play-action game a little bit easier. So that's going to be my, my, my down, <laughs> because going into that game is going to be very tough. But if I'm going to have an up about the 49ers' performance from Week 13, I'm going to make it focused almost entirely on, well, I guess two things. I'm going to go with the defensive line and, and George Kittle. So I mentioned George Kittle already, two touchdowns. It was great to see him get up well above the 100-yard mark, getting to 181 yards. Only the second time this season, by the way, that he's had a 100-yard game. But you've kind of been waiting for him to... to kind of turn things on if he would and yeah of course he does so many other things as a blocker as a decoy but finally getting those stats you know and and in football such a stat game anyway people pay attention to that probably more than anything else even if they don't watch the game it's like oh wait what did George Kittle do George Kittle did a lot so anyway I don't need to say anything much more about him as an up he was awesome um the other thing though that I was really 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 happy to see is the 49ers defensive line really making its impact really in the front seven as a whole uh i mentioned aziz allshire um being absolute all-encompassing presence on the defensive side he was awesome but let's give a shout out to dj jones nick bosa eric armstead you know the 49ers were able to collect four sacks on russell wilson uh they were pressuring a very beleaguered banged up seahawks offensive line throughout the game and really, honestly, only Russell Wilson being Russell Wilson and the Niners' own mistakes let the Seahawks win that. So, and, and you can't really fault the defensive line for it. I mean, not only did you see Bosa and, um, and Eric Armstead record sacks on the game, uh, Arden Key and Aziz Alshire, they split a sack too. And uh, you saw reserve edge Jordan Willis get in there for a sack as well. So great job by the defensive line. Super happy to see them do their job. Uh, it was only a shame just because you saw that defense being on the field so much uh, during the second half against Seattle that it was pretty clear they were tiring out. And uh, yeah, <laughs> that's what happens when Seattle winds up winning the time of possession battle. Who would have figured that, right? So there's your downs, there's your ups. The downs, of course, the injuries, especially to Emmanuel Mosley. That could be disastrous against a very good Bengals passing offense. 
Um, but of course, the ups, George Kittle and the Niners uh, front seven defense. And if the Niners are going to pull off a win on the road against Cincy in week 14, you know what your X factors are going to have to be. It's going to have to be that defensive line. It's going to have to be that pass rush getting to Joe Burrow. I mean, the Bengals are, are, are about as inconsistent a team as the 49ers, maybe not to the same degree. And I would argue that the Bengals offense has far more talent, um, especially when healthy. But Niners defense might be able to negate it if it can win at the line of scrimmage. But we're going to get into that later. We'll talk about that later in the week when we uh, do our follow-up podcast and kind of lean into week 14. Um, but overall, I mean, look, if you're listening to this podcast, if you've been a 49ers fan for any period of time, you've kind of just grown used to losing to the Seahawks as much as that stinks. And as much as it's probably all of us were excited to say, hey, we could put a stamp on the Seahawks season coming to a crashing close. And yet one more time at Lumen Field, I'm still calling it the Century Link, but whatever, Lumen Field. One more time for the 12s to go out there and say, oh, hey, yeah, we own you. And Russell Wilson owns you. And Pete Carroll owns you with his chewing gum. You've gotten used to it. It's old news by now. (laughs) I'm still waiting for that to to come to an end. Hopefully it does at some point. Whatever. We'll see. So anyway, frustrating loss for for the 49ers. But at 6-6, they're still on the wild card hunt. And they do have some tiebreakers over teams like the Eagles, like the Vikings, who are chasing them in the wild card picture. So that's good. And to be honest with you, if the 49ers finish up 9-8, and eight, that's probably enough to get them into the postseason. And I wouldn't even be surprised if 8-9 and nine does it. That means two more wins for San Francisco. And when you got teams like the Falcons, who are terrible, the Houston Texans, who are really terrible, shouldn't be too much of an ask. But nevertheless, this loss doesn't feel good. Niners are 6-6. Six and six. Losing to the Seahawks again. They sweep the season series. Russell Wilson does his thing. Pete Carroll chews gum, jumps up and down. And yeah, there you go. So anyway, hope you enjoyed this edition of the Niner Noise podcast. And hope you're excited for Robert Morrison and his family as they welcome a new child into the world. And hopefully you're looking forward, as I am, to the Niners getting back on track. And hopefully just turning the Seahawks loss into another small bump in the road as they look to rebound in week 14 against the Bengals. So as always, if you enjoy what you hear, either from Robert Morrison, from myself, from any of the guests that we have on from time to time, or even the fill-in hosts who wind up showing up and helping out, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Go ahead and give us that five-star review. We like it. It makes us feel good about ourselves and our efforts to reach out to all of you. And as always, head over to NinerNoise.com for all of your latest and greatest Niners news, analysis, and insight. Give us a follow on Twitter, at SFNinerNoise, and then also be sure to interact with us on Twitter, too. All of our Twitter handles are pretty much on on every single one of our articles, so we appreciate it. So until next time, 49ers fans, let's go ahead and sound the horn.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.